0: Is it still sleeping? Yes.
1: Was it injured? I don't think so.
0: Not physically. Explain it to me again. I still don't understand what happened. Neither do I. Hello and welcome to another special episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Carl Leclerc, and I am joined by none other than Captain Jim Erso himself. We've got Jim Capron. Hey, man. <laughs> Happy uh,
1: to be here. Uh, I'm to talk about Mandalorian. This show's amazing.
0: I could not agree more. I absolutely love Chapter 2, The Child. Um and uh i i just like i needed to talk about it again and and i loved just doing a little mini show about the theme song and then i was like i was like oh i kind of want to do another episode on the theme song because it, it they use it so beautifully in the second chapter even differently and then i was like you know mm-hmm. what i just want to talk about this chapter and you and i were texting so much last night i was like the heck with this like jim you want to make a yeah quick, we need to talk want to make a quick <laughs> podcast and um so right off the gate um Right off the bat, right out the gate. There we go. Right expressions. Uh, spoilers ahead. So again, if you've not seen The Mandalorian, please stop listening um, because we are not <laughs> going to hold anything back. Um, we are talking about anything and everything that happened in Chapter 2 of The Mandalorian. Um, so I know, sadly, that there are several of you who haven't seen it because either you live overseas and don't have Disney Plus yet, and some people just haven't been able to purchase Disney Plus yet. Um, just uh a quick point, though, to those of you who haven't who are in the states who haven't gotten Disney Plus, um, the first week is free. They give you a, a a one week free trial. So you know if if you're just waiting a little bit longer, you're just not sure about Mandalorian. Maybe just try that one week trial and give the first couple episodes a, a watch and see what you think. So just a suggestion to those of you who might be holding out for that reason. Because mm-hmm. um, I don't know about you, Jim, but I give this I give this show like 17 stars out of 10 like i love it yeah yeah
1: i I think 17 out of 10 is is a pretty accurate score
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, let's let's get into this like western fairy tale slash like fable of a boy overcoming the monster um, th- mm. There is so much packed into this 32-minute episode. I mean I was honestly kind of right? – I was kind of shocked crazy. when I saw the runtime when it, you know, when it, when it launched on Friday. I was like, mm. man, that's pretty short. And I do remember hearing um, like a panel discussion with like Favreau and Filoni a week before the show started and they were talking about how they had just a tremendous sense of freedom. They, they have a story they want to tell and if – you know, they only need 30 minutes to do it in an episode. They're going to do that. They never, and I, I, I really like that. They don't, like, they're not oh, going to just too. invest, like, fluff to, you know, beef out the runtime. Like, that's the nice thing about a streaming service. You don't have to worry about commercials. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I totally like that approach, too. like i i don't want it to be like unnecessarily like an hour like just you know trying to make that one hour mark that you see with something like you know like stranger things or game of thrones or something like that you know if they if they use the time well i mean that that's great but i ultimately i want everything to serve the story and i think everything in this 32 minute episode serves the story very well
0: oh yeah absolutely um and like, yeah, you know, in those 32 minutes, they told a complete story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, right at the top of the episode, we get just a really great moment to see the Mandalorian fight. Um, you know, we, we saw that still photo in Entertainment Weekly of him fighting um the trend oceans, trend oceans, yeah, and these trend do look a little bit different. I don't know if you noticed. Oh, they
1: that. definitely do. Yeah. yeah, it's a different, definitely a different look.
0: Okay, yeah. Um, but this is just like th- this was something I was so excited about, just from that picture, and even from some of the early you know footage and trailers we got was the idea of seeing. You know, hand to hand combat or like duels that aren't lightsaber duels. Like that's my favorite kind of fighting in any movie. Is like a good hand to hand fight. Like Mm -hmm. um, you know, a good sword fight of any like anything like that where it's kind of like that that close encounters rather than like just guns blazing. Mm -hmm. Um, And and we got that in all its glory at the end of the of chapter one. Um, Oh yeah. (laughs) So it's just so cool for the to open and watching him fight he's pretty damn good at hand-to-hand combat oh too. yeah
1: to say the least there's like there's, there's like a ruthlessness and brutality too to the way that he fights like he does not pull punches at all yep. like like every single punch that he throws like it's gonna land and it's gonna land hard
0: <laughs> yeah yeah i love the shot when he kicks the one in the leg and it just crumples um oh yeah what it, what it and- honestly kind of reminded me of is the way they trained christian bale for the dark knight movies um the fighting oh, style point. that he used. I don't know if it's – it's, it's called um, – oh, shoot. It's going to escape my mind. I know it's not a very effective real-life fighting technique. It's better for films because it's flashy. Um, okay. But it's based on jiu-jitsu, um, which is very brutal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> like, it's pretty cool to see mm-hmm. that w- the Mandalorian clearly has training, right? You yeah. know, w- we both talked a lot about – just off-air obviously – but a lot about how much we appreciate the discipline that they've they even set up about this character just in chapter 1 and of course he's going to be a great fighter cuz disciplined people can learn great skills you know cuz they have the discipline to learn them
1: mm-hmm. yeah he's definitely a seasoned veteran it, it, this scene makes that very very clear and and certainly like the first episode does but this just kind of emphasizes that even more absolutely yeah mm-hmm. um I about jumped out of my seat though when he dusted that Trandoshan at the end. Ugh. I was not expecting that at all, <laughs> yeah, that gun of his is pretty brutal, yeah, it disintegrates nothing like you, it. like literally nothing like it in that we've seen in Star Wars, yeah, yeah,
0: and it but it keeps your clothes, <laughs> you know, yes, <laughs> like your, your clothes stay intact, but your body disintegrates, <laughs>
1: yeah, it's yeah, I love it though, it's so cool,
0: yeah, and it because it's something you all right, it's something different, it's something new. Mm-hmm. Um, But, uh, man, and he's doing all this to, like, defend that child, right? Um, right. And, you know, when the fight's over, he notices a another fob on the ground. And, it, it, you know, it becomes very apparent to him that there's going to be other folks hunting this child. Um, and essentially a, hunting him, too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and it seems like they're hunting the child to kill it, kind of like IG-11, right? Whoever yep. tasked these people don't really mm-hmm. care if the child's alive or not because we right the, right before he literally vaporizes that guy. I mean, he's going in for the kill. He's not going to steal. Mm-hmm. So,
1: yeah, the, the biggest question I I think I have coming out of chapter 2 is like what is the Mandalorian's motivation to help this child? I think by the end of the episode you can see that obviously has a connection to it. But I mean, you also have to think like his family and his tribe are very, very important to him. And it's very important that he gets that best car steal from the client. So I I don't know. I feel like he's going to be torn in two directions. Like he knows the right thing to do is to save this child, but he also wants to help his family too. Right. So I think, I think it's going to be so fascinating to see like how he reacts to this decision that he, has to make. And maybe he's able to fulfill both of those, you know, in some way, but it's, it's definitely not going to be easy.
0: Right. Yeah. Um, that, yeah, I, I love that point of, of what this is going to do to his, his arc ultimately. Cause I think it's going to have a, a big part of it. And you know, if you notice by the end of the episode, and I, I obviously we're going to go into other things, but after like, especially his encounter with the mudhorn, <laughs> um, and you see all of his armor just banged to hell, right? The oh, one thing yeah. that's still pretty pristine, though, is that that um, uh, what was it called a pauldron? Um, yeah, 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 it's a pauldron. So his Beskar pauldron is still in pretty good shape, which just goes to show that like this is obviously what he's working for. He wants those. He wants the kind of armor that is a bit more um mm-hmm. than the stuff get that gets you know all torn apart in this episode.
1: Right, and I, I think he ultimately wants. The armor for not just himself but for his people too, because mm-hmm. if his really? people have suffered because they don't have the resources to you know, to sustain themselves, then you now he wants to give them that. You yeah. know.
0: Yeah. Well and and to tie that back obviously to that to that great scene in, in chapter one though, with him in the the arm I kept calling it the forger, but I guess they're calling her the armorer. Um mm, okay. but uh yeah, when she picks up the Beskar that he got, you know, she says, "Oh, this this was from the Great Purge," which, again, we don't know exactly what that is. Maybe we do, and it hasn't been. And I just didn't see it. Um, by the way, I really wish like uh, Star Wars .dot com or like Disney or something would do kind of like a Rebels Recon for. Oh yeah, for, they, um, they definitely should. Yeah, like my buddy Greg was. He texted us the other night and said that, and I was like, "Wow, that's so." Props to Greg for calling it. If they do it, <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I hope they do. But what seems to be kind of implied by that great purge? It kind of made me think of something from Rogue One. <laughs> Good thing I got you here, Jim. Because um, yep. of course, like with the Empire's doing on Jeddah, right? They're they're stripping all of the um, the Kyber mines because they need the Kyber for themselves. Well, it makes sense if you're going to conquer a planet like Mandalore, you've got to strip them of their most precious commodity but also what gives them their sense of identity. If they yeah, can't make more armor. Yeah. If they can't make more armor, oh well, it sucks to be them. And also like mm-hmm. it's good to have probably for the Empire. So oh, yeah. Um but yeah, like it just it's 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 neat though, like you said though, that he also he cares about his tribe. He wants them to to get more Beskar. Um mm-hmm. so after this after this little melee fight right at the beginning of the episode, um man, we just keep they they're do a great job of giving us shots of, of Baby Yoda. Um what do you what are you calling, oh, yeah. what are you calling this child? Um I've heard Baby Yoda, um, my friend Ben calls it Shamrock Shake or uh, Green Moses. Um I've you know, I've seen Baby Yaddle. Like <laughs> I,
1: I keep it simple and just say the child.
0: Perfect <laughs> at yeah. this point. Well that's what they've named it, right? Yep. Um, it works for me for now. Also pretty cool that they got the thumbs up from George to do that too. Um, oh, I did not know that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, Filoni and Favreau met with George and asked if they could use like a baby version of Yoda and he gave and which, of course, they don't have to do. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I, but I like
1: it that they do that. I do they, too. Have that, like, they have that respect for him. Right. And I did. I really like that.
0: Yeah, because George had the opportunity both in the prequels and the Clone Wars TV series to maybe reveal Yoda's species or more about it. And he chose not to. Um, yeah. He chose to leave that as a mystery. Um, I still kind of hope they do, to be honest. Like, I don't want—I do hear- really yeah, don't I'd want the name of the species. But if they do, I'm going to assume that either George gave it to them or okayed even that. Because, um, mm-hmm. like, I still feel like there are certain, like, these really deep mysteries of Star Wars that we can continue to love to, like, kind of, you know tread in the the waters of those mysteries that like we don't necessarily want to find like that's what boba fett was until the prequels like that's right and i get why people didn't love that you know that clone. yeah Mm -hmm. like that's that's fair because it took away that mystery i don't Mm -hmm. even think it's so much like oh i hate that he's this kid or blah blah blah. it's just like oh man there goes the mystery (laughs) you know what i mean yeah
1: um, yeah it is kind of a double-edged sword because star wars fans expect to have so much in- information i mean not just in like ancillary material like a visual dictionary or anything but like actually in the content like these days everything has to be explained in like the entirety of the movie otherwise fans start complaining but i, I agree with you i think there it's better that some things are left a mystery and in this case i hope that you know, the child, like its species and where it actually comes from. I kind of do hope that's remains a mystery. I I certainly want to know its connection to the force and everything, but I, I don't need to know where, where it actually came from or what its species is. That isn't important to me. I want to know like how it's going to impact the Mandalorian and his emotions and you know how he perceives things.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So, you know, it probably a couple of my favorite types of moments in anything Star Wars is obviously I love a good balcony scene. I think
1: we've established that. But I (laughs) also
0: I also love a good campfire scene, and that's essentially what this next scene is. Is we've Mm -hmm. got the Mandalorian just kind of fixing his armor after the fight. Um, I don't know if it's an actual open fire, but there's at least like a. A a big glow stick. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Somebody probably knows what it's actually called. I don't. Um, Yeah, I don't know. But it's essentially like a campfire scene, which again, like gives you that very Western feel. There's Mm -hmm. no dialogue at all still at this point, right? There's still no dialogue in in the episode. I mean, granted, we're only like two minutes in, but still, there's not any dialogue. Even in this little scene, we hear um, like as the Mando's like, you know, putting this stuff back together. He's also putting himself back together, right? He's got that cut on his arm. Which is also a very similar cut that The Dark Knight gets in The Dark Knight. (laughs) Um, Oh, yeah, from the dog.
1: (laughs) So um, it'll hold up against well, well against cats, right? (laughs) Right.
0: (laughs) Um, But as he's putting stuff back together, um, we see the child, you know, get out of its little hovercraft and it's trying to help right it's try it's reaching out to touch him and it's straining to to reach up and you know he adorably twice picks it up and puts it back into its uh floating crib Mm -hmm. um and uh but like in that moment there is just like this beautiful connection this this child like kind of sees him as a protector and, and wants to help wants to you know uh do whatever it can to help make its protector feel okay Mm-hmm. Yeah, the thing with this scene is like, I, I kind of
1: think like, is this connection there? Because like, the Mandalorian was the first person that the child saw in like a really, really long time, you know, kind of like with a baby bird when it comes out of the egg, and it sees its mother, like, that's what it always recognizes as a, as its mother when it's a baby. But I, I do think after watching this scene that there's like a true like connection there. And I think the child like does have some understanding of what the Mandalorian did for it because it's reaching out to help him when it's – I mean it's just a a baby. So I do think it understands like what the Mandalorian did for it. Maybe not like explicitly but it's almost like it can feel that like through the force if that makes any sense. For
0: sure. Yeah. Yeah. My friend Ben made a great gif of that moment of the Mandalorian picking it up, picking up the child and putting it back in the crib, and just said, This is for everybody. This is for perseverance, for all those with a baby at home or, uh, you know, a pet. <laughs> Which yeah. I have a kitten now who is, uh, I've had her for just om- almost a month now. She's like 12 weeks old. And,. She's very, very rambunctious. So it's like lots of like picking her up and moving her. Like, no, stop that. Oh, okay. That. Very no, relatable that. for yeah. you. Yeah, as soon as uh, as soon as Ben made that, I was like, Oh, yep, perfect. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. This is my life right now. Um but uh then then the Mandalorian rolls up on these Jawas.
1: Oh yes. And all of his glory. Yes.
0: <laughs> and you know, we get to see him vaporize some some Jawas.
1: Um yeah, I was not. I I wasn't expecting that. I was. I thought he would at least like give them a chance, or because like with typical Star Wars, he would like go down to the Jawas and start arguing with them. And then they'd start throwing stuff around. That's like kind of what you would expect. But he does not hesitate to just start dusting them like one after the other like there is like a ruthlessness to him and he's obviously had experiences with them before because later quill tells him to trade with them and he says "With jawas are you out of your mind <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah so yeah. he he definitely has like that ruthlessness in him where he's just like you're stealing supper on my ship you're going down
0: right yeah and like in his and that reaction is so knee-jerk too right like there is a bit of um <laughs> uh kind of violent impulsiveness to him. Oh yeah, um, it totally is. Which I guess as a Mandalorian, it makes sense that his first option is fight.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not, it's just a natural
0: instinct yeah, for him. Not negotiate, not not flee, but fight. Um yeah. that's like the way of the Mandalorian people. Um but yeah, like the thing that I really like though is is, is they're taking off and he starts running after them. Like mm-hmm. again it's another moment we had a f- few of these even in chapter 1 but where he just I don't know he, he kind of looks pathetic. Um, oh
1: yeah he does <laughs> you know and and I
0: mean that in like the right way like because it humanizes him. Yeah like again kind of coming into the show I figured you know he's going to be your um you know just western gunslinger he's all like macho man, and yeah, know, which and, is exactly what I did not want. Same here, like, it's like that's not the garbage I want right now, and we don't need that in our culture right now. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, so I was so seeing things like that, like, you know, just really shows that he's. He's human. P- he's pretty human. Yeah. 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 So he's- I mean, of if, if all
1: the things that are going to stop him, it's a bunch of Jawas on the rooftop that right. are going to paralyze him, you know?
0: Yeah. <laughs> all, all I was thinking of is like this, if this was Boba Fett, he'd probably just jetpack up there, fry them all and get his stuff back. Right. Yeah. Or he'd, even he'd be have shooting
1: his his blasters and his, his rocket pack and yeah. his flamethrower all at the same time and just looking really awesome. And it would be cool. But at the same time, you'd be like, OK, this is. What is this saying about the character?
0: <laughs> right, exactly, and you know, and Boba Fett, the, Slave One would probably be so rigged up they wouldn't even be able to get on board. Um, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> right. And and I I say that in the sense of like literally putting them up, like this is this is not who his character is yet. Like there is mm. kind of an incompleteness to this this Mandalorian. Um, mm. and he's he's got a long way to go because, yeah, he gets bested by Jawas. Um, yeah, right, which
1: is like the last thing that you would expect.
0: Yeah, like I mean, our experience of Jawas from A New Hope is they're just kind of like a cute nuisance, if anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and, not, and not here, not here, right, right. Like, yes, they certainly flee. They don't want to stay and just have a a, a gun battle, and they're just going to defend their home because he's now he's an invader on their home. Um, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, like also like that episode. Ripped right out of Super Star Wars, the Super Nintendo game. The I literally went and played it last night because I had it on my PS4. Um, the the level where you have to like get onto the sand crawler, it, it reminded me so much of that those moments in the Mandalorian episode. Um, oh, okay. Wouldn't be I supervised. mean, it reminded me a little bit of
1: Rebels uh, Season 4. Okay.
0: okay, I can see that. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. If, you, if you've ever played the Super Nintendo game Super Star Wars, um, and you remember having to like board the land speeder. It was – or the sand crawler, excuse me. It was a lot of the same stuff that we saw in the episode. <laughs> just scaling
1: the end of it and yeah. was like throwing stuff down at you. And
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty cool. Um, so right, he gets to the top and we're like, oh, yeah, he pulls that gun and it's just like, nope.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, and the other thing about the uh, like that entire sequence is it just it's a great example of world building. Just because from those few minutes, you have a very good idea of what that culture is for the Jawas, like what they believe in, how they react to things, and you know the type of environment that they live in, and how they react when somebody's coming after their home. You know, yeah. I, I think it's really great world building that's done like in, in such a small amount of time
0: yeah well i'll say like i actually before i went to bed last night i grabbed my old copy of uh tales from the moss isley cantina and started reading the short story about the jawa from that i normally don't give a crap about jawas but like you oh i don't either there was something about the world building here that just at least like it intrigued me i was like wow this is cool we've never really you know there's just some level of exploration of the jawas here that we've never gotten before um Mm -hmm. so that was really cool uh but I want to point out because um, we get kind of two similar shots in this episode, and this is the first one where the Mandalorians laying there on the ground, pretty much unconscious. In the way that um, Rick Fumaya, I think is, is that, do you not know say his last name? The director, no, I don't. I think it's Fumaya. I could be pronouncing it wrong. I mean, I'm great at doing stuff like that. Um, <laughs> let me see. I think I just looked him up. But uh, uh, yeah, I'm I'm literally just guessing. But Rick Fumaya or something. Uh, sorry, I'm totally butchering his name. Um, but uh, I love the way he just zooms in on the Mandalorian's helmet there, um, right? Mm-hmm. And and he is—he's kind of this pathetic, broken character in that in that moment. He's mm-hmm. totally vulnerable too. If anything rolled by right then, they could walk off with the child. They could just kill him and take his stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's this there's this tremendous vulnerability to him in that moment um, as the camera settles on his face, and even the child is like anxiously waiting to see that he wakes up.
1: Yeah, that that's the thing about that whole sequence. I mean the, the child didn't have to go after mm. the Mandalorian when he was chasing that sandcrawler. But there is like – there is some genuine attachment and connection there.
0: Yeah. You know, that's – well, you made that point to me last night and honestly, I thought the Mandalorian was controlling the floating crib the whole time. So I didn't think it was the child consciously making that choice. I thought it was the Mando mm. making it for him. So – because um, we've seen him – because we see the Mando move it around a few times, right? Like we see him move it yeah. around with the fight with the the, um, the Tridoshans and then we see him move it again with the the um, Mudhorn. Um, mm. But do you think it is actually the child that's consciously controlling this to follow? Man, that's a good question.
1: I don't know. My head canon is that it can.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean I don't that's, think there's
1: a uh, – That's what I'm going to subscribe I, to until somebody tells me otherwise.
0: <laughs> well, and I kind of like that – You know, I think the evidence for that could be like the Mandalorian is just like he's 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 in reaction mode at that point, right? When he's running after it, I don't think he actually even thinks about the child. He's just trying to get a ship put back together. So there's a really good point to think that he might have just left the child there. So the child is is the one consciously following after. Um, Yeah, and even when he's
1: like pretty much unconscious on his back, it's not like he can control that crib at that point. You know, when he's like almost like lifeless on the ground.
0: Good point. Yeah.
1: So. That's what I'm going to subscribe to as like of now.
0: It. Yeah, I like it. Um, mm-hmm. well, and it would, it would support what the child does later in the episode too. So,
1: yes, which we will get to. Yeah.
0: So, the Mando decides to go go back to Quills. Uh, I love Quill. Can't get enough of Oh, it. I think we all do. Um you know, he's got that great like again, this is like going to the 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 farmstead in the western, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in Westerns, like when you go to a farmstead or, or somebody's home like that, it is, it's that moment of like peace, usually after a battle or right before a battle, right before, <laughs> um, it, it, cause you're looking for some level of respite within the story even. Um, so I love that he, he goes back to quills. He knows that quill will probably help because he's already helped.
1: Yeah. He's just a great guy.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, and this is something I'll, I'll probably make the point again when we get to it at the end of the episode, but. What I love about Quill's character is they're really drawing from uh, Middle Eastern, the Middle Eastern concept of hospitality. And when you have a guest, right, like uh, you do everything you can to take care of your guest. They come first. And Quill mm-hmm. really embodies that, which, again, is like, it's, it's huge in Middle Eastern culture. That that's the way oh, it works. Yeah. Um, it's also huge in like the Old Testament, all these Old Testament stories about when you have a visitor, like this level of hospitality that you put out for them is, is huge. Um, so I love that Quill represents that as well.
1: Yeah, he's definitely one that lives by that rule of treat a stranger better than you would treat yourself. Mm-hmm. And I like that cause you really don't see that a lot in Star Wars. I think we were saying last night that in a way he's like the Shmi Skywalker of the show. And I like that because, like I said, we don't see that very often in Star Wars because we're too busy, you know, like fighting a war or trying to save the galaxy you don't have like these moments where you can just kind of step back and like appreciate those moments and like i was even thinking like you know every movie and show or episode like has a driving theme i think like the obvious one is rogue one where hope is like the driving theme and i've been thinking like okay what's the driving theme of these first two episodes and it I would have to go with like selflessness and empathy and, and definitely gratitude. It's like every scene, there's like some level of, of gratitude that's being expressed. And you see that so much between Quill and the Mandalorian. And I love that.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a great point. Um, and I, I like that Quill also points out, uh, a, a caveat. So the Mandalorian says, you know, they they destroyed my ship. And Quill specifies they steal, they don't destroy. Right? Like mm-hmm. Quill already has a level like you're saying, like he has this level of empathy already for the Jawas. Mm-hmm. And he understands yeah. that this is this is how they live. Like they have to steal because they have no other means. Right? Does it justify it? Probably not. He's not justifying it, but he's at least but he's just pointing out that there's certain things they don't do. Like they don't destroy, they don't see death right they mm-hmm. they see their own survival which is usually at, you know at your short end of the stick but um right like he he points out something very distinct there like he has um a compassion for them that clearly the mando doesn't and understandably mm-hmm. within that moment you know they've they've stripped his livelihood they've stripped his home right like if if Star Wars ships are one thing they're homes right like they really represent home for characters, so mm-hmm. the mando's home has been stripped yeah um
1: yeah he he's just such a uh, quill's just such a great companion to the, the Mandalorian you know when he's getting very um impulsive and anxious about everything and he just wants to react instantly quills that companion that makes him just sit down and say like hey, let's look at this situation objectively and see how we should proceed. And then that gives the Mandalorian a, a second to, like, collect himself and say, like, okay, yeah, you're right. Let's let's do this. And you can see him growing throughout both of these episodes as he interacts more and more with Quill.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, let's talk about so, this, this barter scene. Yeah. <laughs> with the Jawas. And um, – mm-hmm. Gosh, how like it's so funny! Like it's it's yeah. That's what I was gonna say. I love the
1: cynical humor to it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like they uh, just—I mean—they're basically making fun of him the whole time. Mm
1: -hmm. And And I like when he fires back and says,
0: "You understand this?"
1: and fires his flamethrower. that was that was some good Star Wars humor to me.
0: Yeah, and again, like evidence of what an kind of impulsively violent character the Mandalorian is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, how dare you make fun of me i'm gonna punch you in the face right like it's yeah it's someone with a kind of you know kind of a fragile ego a bit there you know mm-hmm. fragile sense of self having to to fight literally fire back
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> and he's not really coming to negotiate he's just coming to to take back i mean he says like no i'm not trading for anything you stole this from me but then you have you know, the opposite end with Quill, who's able to, you know, kind of bring him back and say like, okay, like that's not an option here. We need to look at what we can actually do with this situation, like, and be level-headed with this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> and then they just, like, they ask for um, Suga. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they want the egg. <laughs> um And, uh, uh like, they're uh, – we get the I, – I love the little scene of getting to see the inside of the Sandcrawler's like control cockpit. Um, oh, yeah.
1: Like I said, it's just like really great world building.
0: Yeah. Um, and of course wherever the Mando is, the child's there next to him. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean oh, it's, it's really good. Um, I just find it really fun. But they're sending him ultimately on a quest right i don't know i don't know what the motive is of the jaw, the jawas i mean obviously we see once they get it they just eat it like yeah you know the they almost like treat it as if it's something sacred right like they're all chanting mm. suga and the way when he brings it back to and it, it's lifted up like oh look at this you know thing to to like give adoration to but like it's
1: the fountain of youth or something yeah
0: <laughs> and they just eat it like so again we don't know enough about were they just maybe just they just really like these eggs. They're a delicacy, right. but they're pretty damn hard to get. So they're mm-hmm. like, you know what? We'll send this guy. He seems capable.
1: <laughs> yeah. I almost tend to think it's almost like a religious thing for them. Like this is going to give them like long life or something because it's so hard to get. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. I mean, there's so many ways that you could interpret it, but I don't know. Now that you put it in that perspective, I think that's kind of what I'm thinking with that. It's – is. Almost like this this sacred thing, and it's like, oh, we have this egg, and now it's gonna you know give us this eternal life or something, right. but that's just like my my theory, <laughs>
0: yeah, well, and even just think of like the symbolism of it being an egg, right like eggs are embryos for life, right like it's an egg is something that new life comes forth from, so mm-hmm. they're sending him on a quest for life, you know um, yeah and the thing I love most about the the confrontation with the mudhorn is that it is like you know I, I know I texted you this last night but it it's like every ancient fable from so many cultures across the world about the importance of sending you know a young boy into the jungle into the desert wherever to to face some sort of beast or monster and come out a man right come out yeah come he's out basically changed. going
1: to slay the dragon
0: right yeah. Um, so, it, again, like that's that is like to me, pinnacle Star Wars is like it's it's sinking its teeth right into our cultural past, um, you know, that these by encapsulating this story of a fable. Um, mm-hmm. I love it.
1: Oh, yeah. And it's so Star Wars. I mean, Star Wars is ultimately a campfire story. And what better to talk about around a campfire than like a young man going to slay a dragon, you know,
0: for sure. Um, I just want to point out really quick, though, the music during that scene. Oh, yeah, um, it's great. Like, this is so different for Star Wars. Um, no idea what those instruments are, by the way. Oh, I don't either. But I'm going to do some right. research and try to find out. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I really like about it is there's something very primal about that. Yeah, that's about what that I was going to say. Music. Yeah, right? Like, it, it again, like, just which to me immediately corresponds with that idea of, you know, the young character going into the, to the wilderness to fight the dragon or to fight the, the, mm-hmm. the beast, whatever it may be here it's a mudhorn um, and uh, it's just like yeah, I just, I love like how, how primal this moment is and, and how perfectly like Ludwig captures that, like listen to that man it's nuts like almost like that it's almost like the sound of a rhino or something, right? It's the sound. Yeah, of and it's like kind a of a terrifying in a way. Absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everything sounds like it's being played in a minor key, which is normally something that's meant to elicit fear and danger or something. Right, yeah. Um. So, yeah, like, again, like, totally different style of music for Star Wars, but it speaks the language so brilliantly.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think between the
0: music and like,
1: what's actually going on in the scene. That that Mudhorn is, like, easily the most terrifying and intimidating creature in, like, all of Star Wars to me. I mean, you could just tell that it's been through, like, so much, and it's going to be near impossible to take it down. I mean, it can barely see out of its one of its eyes, and it's, it's very muscular, it's very tough. It's, yeah. like, this unstoppable force. I don't know. I, I just find it to be, like, very, very intimidating because, like, we know that only one person is walking or a creature is walking away from this fight live. Right.
0: Yeah. And also like obviously we realize he's going there to steal an egg, which, which is its offspring. So again, like he's on his territory. Yes. So think of any mother animal defending its, you know, its cubs, its its babies, whatever, you mm-hmm. know, it, it it fights with a different kind of ferocity, too, in those moments. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah. And it's a it's a complicated situation, too, because that's essentially what the Mandalorian is, is fighting for. I mean, sure, he's not on his territory, but right. he's ultimately fighting for, you know, this child and for his tribe back on another world, because if he doesn't get that egg, he's going to lose both.
0: Yeah. Good point. Yeah, so they're both fighting for their life, right? For the future of their lives. Um and again like, you know, he gets he gets schooled by the Jawas, but that's small potatoes compared to this man. Like he Oh is, yeah. He is. Like his his, best his, yeah, his
1: life is 100% on the line. Yeah.
0: That thing just beats
1: the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about the scene the most is the physicality of it because it it is kind of rare that you see Star Wars characters like being tested like so physically you know like when they're covered in blood and dirt it's just it's something you don't see very often and that's like one of the many reasons why I love rogue one so much and and the minban sequence and solos like actually one of my favorites of that film because there's like just so much physicality and it just brings out the intensity and the desperation of the situation when you see the mandalorian just having to like crawl through mud and he could barely stand up at the end of that fight but he's going to keep going yes
0: um, I and I particularly love the the detail of his chest plate being like half ripped open, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, we've who knows if we'll ever see the Mandalorian's face in the entire first season. Who knows at this point? But and, but what's clear is this is a person who whose identity is within the armor. Um, So for it to be stripped open like that, I mean, again, like that sense of vulnerability. um, Exactly. You know, like his heart is exposed in a way, you know, like his chest Mm -hmm. is ripped open and then smashed down. Um, He's just a mess. And he ultimately, right, like he pulls out his knife. It's his last thing. To me, this is him like bowing. Um, He's ready for death. Like he's, he's accepted that he's about to die. Yeah, I it's like an like, honorable
1: death to yes, him because exactly. I mean he's defending the child and he's ultimately fighting for his family.
0: Yeah, and he's gonna he's gonna go out like yeah, like you said, like again, which is very samurai, which I I believe it's their code of bushido. Um, yep, that's it. Yeah, right. Which which is all about an honorable death. Um, so yeah, he's he's accepted that he's about to die honorably. Um. And uh, but again, like we did get another quick shot of him saving the child, right? Like it's it mm-hmm. first knocks him out and then notices the child and is running at it and he comes to and pulls it away. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, man, we get this like awesome reveal because everybody was asking even after chapter one. It's like, whoa, is this it, it's a little baby Yoda. Is it force sensitive? And it's
1: right. That's the first question everybody asked. And rightfully so.
0: Yeah. And we got an answer, man. Um, oh, yes, we did. I just want to queue up that music because it's awesome. Here it is. Oh, these guitars are sick. <laughs> I just it's such a cool little riff um I again like it gives
1: you it gives you a sense that like time is stopping and yeah. there's something that's worth like taking note of and recognizing its importance you know like that whole sequence is it's very very fast i mean the mandalorian is constantly switching from weapon to weapon and tactic to tactic and then that music just helps like stop everything for a second say to the viewer hey there's something very very important worth taking note of here and and take it in
0: yep yep and interesting that they don't right i think what would have made almost sense to play in that moment is the force theme in some way but they don't right and this is something new
1: i do like that they don't you know i like that the mandalorian does have like its own identity with music you know yes so to speak
0: and again like i wish i I, I wish i was david collins because he'd probably be able to even point out like what's going on musically with those notes there on the guitar I, i i've listened to it a million times already and i I feel like it's similar to the Mandalorian's theme in some way, but maybe that's just because it's guitar driven. I I don't know. Um, Again, I don't know either. Very Western sounding, uh, once again. Um, It definitely has that Western feel. Um, The thing is, though, like this moment is more about the Mandalorian, though, even than the child, I would say, right? And I, I feel like that's what the music elicited for me is like something's protecting him. I mean, we know it's the child, and the child's using the force. Um, but yeah, the music, like you said, Jim, it just, it just, and and everything does kind of go in slow motion, almost similar to the way they shoot Luke in the cave and Empire Strikes Back, right? Like the way they give it that dream mm-hmm. effect. There is something dreamlike in that moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's the first time that the Mandalorians ever seen anything like that
0: because he can't even
1: explain it to Quill later, right?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he comes out of this fight, you know. He 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 walks out of the jungle alive. Um, and uh, the Jawas are about ready to head out, and he, he shows up carrying some of his armor as well as the egg. Like I, again, I love that he's part he's of himself. Down. Was, yeah, he's human. Yeah, part of himself was broken in that in that experience. So he's carrying he's carrying back pieces of himself. Yeah, um, as well. Like that cost him something, and like that's so cool. Like that's great storytelling, man. Yeah. And just speaks so much to his
1: perseverance. Like he's easily like one of the most resilient characters in all of Star Wars to me.
0: Yeah, oh, I know it. It's so good. So you know, they uh, the the Jawas dive into their suga, um, <laughs> which <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, and uh, kind of gross. <laughs> um, oh, it definitely is. It's disgusting. But uh, yeah, like that's a it's a great little moment. But I love that scene though when he and Quiller are heading back to his ship. And Quill basically says, "You know, I need you to explain it to me again. I don't understand." And the Bando just says, "I don't understand either." And the again, it, um, you know, the director again is zooming in on that face, which again, you know, we all a lot of folks love talking about, and rightfully so, um, how well Adam Driver does great mask acting with Kylo Ren. I think Pedro Pascal is crushing it with mask acting as the man. I would agree.
1: I would agree. I I honestly think that it's the best since like since really Vader. I I think he's just incredible at it. Like, even with the scene before that, when he brings back the eggs to the Jawas, like, the way that he just, like, shakes his head has, like, so much personality yes. to it. Like, he's like, I'm just totally over this. I just went through hell, and you guys are just, like, like, throwing all this, like, all over your face and just, like, like gluttons, and he's just like, <laughs> Really? Really? <laughs> Yeah, but like with with every shot of him, like all all I'm thinking about is like, what is he thinking? There's just like this physicality to him that it. I don't know. It's like really hard to explain, but I don't know. I think it's just like that really great helmet acting that he's he's so great at.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when he, when he confesses that he doesn't understand either, and it zooms in, like even though he's got a mask on, I I feel his confusion. I feel him. Mm -hmm. In the face of mystery. And again, like the reason I love that so much is like as a person who like loves religion and stuff like that. This Mm -hmm. is like that holy moment that like literally uh, um, my favorite um, religious studies scholar is a guy named Rudolf Otto, who's a German scholar from the late 19th century. And he described religious experience as as something being holy and whatever was holy filled you with awe and fear. Right. Like awe because it's awesome. It's something that blows your mind. But there's also an element of fear because it's unknown. Um, not fear like oh, there's a murderer after me, but like this this righteous fear of of being aware of one's limitation. Um, mm-hmm. So like I love that. Like to me, that's kind of what that represented too. From for my interpretation, is that this is the Mandalorian kind of encountering something holy. And I'm I'm not trying to say specifically religious, um, but holy in the sense of just in. in the hebrew word for holy just means set apart um so like he's experiencing something outside of his everyday world for the first time right yeah and it's it's
1: something that's going to stick with him for the rest of his life An experience like that absolutely Mm -hmm. yeah and the other thing that i like about that that moment too between him and Quill is it's it's very clear that he gave 100 percent of the credit to the child for saving his life. It's not like he's like, well, you know, I got a, some good shots in and, you know, I was the yeah. one that like actually killed it. It sounds like he's like giving 100 percent of the credit to the <laughs> child. So once yep. again, it's showing that that humility and that gratitude. Right. And I, I just love that.
0: Yeah. Great point. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Again, like mm-hmm. the character I thought we were going to get was going to be like, yeah, I slayed the beast. Right. Like that's the thing. Right. Well, probably a lot of us was expecting. But instead he's like, I don't know what happened. This damn child saved my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? And the other thing I like about
1: that, too, is that Quill didn't understand it either. Yeah. Because I, I didn't want like another Maz You know, I didn't want just like another wise person who like knows everything about the force. I like that he can have wisdom while it's just being like this ordinary, empathetic, hard working guy. Yes.
0: Yeah, great point. Mm-hmm. Um so they roll back up on, you know, on his gutted razor crest. Um, and again like his he, you know, he reminds me of myself because I'm a bit of a brat sometimes when you see a big task before you and you're like, "Ah, oh, nuts. I don't want to do this. It's a lot of work." Yeah, right? Like I think that's a lot of us when we see like a big thing before us, whether you know, you're a college student trying to tackle your, you know, first big research paper Or you're know you somebody who rolls into work Monday morning and all your plans for the week fell apart and you've got to catch up to them all, right? Like those daunting tasks that we face. Um, I know I'm pretty much like the Mandalorian where I just quickly complain. Oh, we all are in some
1: way or another. (laughs) um,
0: But thank God for characters like Quill who just say, well, it would go a lot quicker if you helped me. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) He's always trying to like put a positive spin onto things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's Um, a very hopeful
1: character too.
0: Yes, for sure. Um so they you know and, and they do this together, right? It's them being mm-hmm. able to do this together that that gets it that gets it done. Um I also really like the music while they're uh, putting it together. Let me here it is. No, oh, that's not it, sorry. Here it is. Again, something kind of very tribal. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna wait for these little like uh, the flutes that come in here. I think that's a flip. Yeah, man. Ah,
1: uh, music, man. It, just, it makes me want to yeah, move. <laughs> I think. I think with the the drums too, it's getting a, giving you a sense that something is being worked on like machinery you know because oh, i just think back to you know david De- yes. w collins awesome show the soundtrack show and he did one on the fellowship of the ring and when he was talking about the orc theme he was talking so much about how the drums help bring out that sense of industry and you know putting things together And I I think that's what the drums do in this sequence. You know, it gives you a sense that there's there's a lot of work being done, but something's being constructed, like a hammer hitting the ground. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, oh man, it's just it's so good. like and and again, uh, Ludwig um, Gorenson, who does the score for this. I mean, the thing that made him most popular recently was doing the score for Black Panther, and he does a great job in that film of really capturing like the sense of kind of. Uh, tribal African music, and and oh, he definitely and, does. And and like he's bringing that to us here. Um, but even that pe- little piece of music kind of reminds me of Chewie's theme from from Solo, right? Like we oh, that's also a good point. we yeah. also get something kind of um, tribal here. It is, you know. I mean, it's a little bit more horn based, but but you can hear those percussion again in the in the background. Here comes a flute. Right? So like something very sweet and innocent but tribal. So
1: yeah. Tribal because they're they're working together to meet a common goal. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So And I I like how it's shot too, how the like I, I know nothing about filmmaking, but like how they go from like shot to shot with like fading Cause it gives you like a sense that time is actually passing yeah. And, and like you, we really don't know for sure, like how much time has passed to like put it together. I could have been like overnight, it could have taken a week, but I, I like how it, it shot like that. And it does feel like, you know, this is taking a long time and it's a lot of work. Cause otherwise, you know, you just don't want to go to the next scene. It's like, all right, it's all fixed up. See ya, you know, but I like how it was done like that.
0: Yeah. Well, in actuality, like to me, I was still like, "Man, they did this in one night. That ship was pretty stripped." Yeah. <laughs> so there is still that suspense of disbelief for sure, but yeah. But then it's like, "Oh, this is Star Wars. This, right. this is fun, <laughs> no, for sure." But yeah, they definitely give you the sense that time has passed, and um, you know they've put it together. And then you know, so the Mando m- makes two offers. His first is kind of what he assumes motivates him, which is money, right? Like, well, let me pay you for your help. Nope you know my my reward was helping you you my you were in my charge. I needed to take care of you again that that element of like middle eastern hospitality um mm-hmm. not that it's only in the middle east but it's 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 culturally Very prevalent there. yeah exactly um and uh so then he offers him basically part of to be part of his crew, you know like I could use a person with your skills and i I mean I almost sense like the mando really wants somebody else right like i think he is someone who's kind of seeking more than the solitary life. I mean, we know like you, you've made several points throughout this episode, Jim, like he clearly cares about his tribe. So he is connected to people. Um, but here he is even offering an essentially an outsider, right? He's not a Mandalorian, um, a place in his tribe, um, which I just think is fantastic. It's so cool.
1: Yeah. And that, that's not who the Mandalorian was even in like halfway through the first chapter when he first meets quill and because he asked quill you know did you help them and he's like yeah but they all died he's like well maybe i don't even want your help right. like he's definitely changed yeah. by this entire experience and all these interactions that he's had from quill he's learned from him he's learned gratitude and humility and we see it at the end here
0: yeah absolutely and uh the thing that i really love about quill too is again we don't it just opens up like man i want to know more about his story But when he says, you know, I worked my life to be free of servant uh, servitude, like, what does that even mean? Like, what does that mean? (laughs) Right. Like, right. And actually what it makes me think of historically in the American frontier, um, you know, the way that uh, the American frontier was actually settled, not even talking the the far west. I'm even talking about like New England and upstate New York. um, you, You know, you you essentially had indentured servitude, right, where people would come over. They were too poor to pay their Pay their way over to the to the new world, so they basically became your indentured servant and worked your farm. And they were given their own property, but they had to serve it for so many years before it became theirs. So again, it like this is obviously me reading into things, which we do as Star Wars fans. But like, I love how Western, how how American frontier that. That story element feels that maybe Quill, this planet he's on, he came here seeking peace as an indentured servant and finally found his freedom and peace. And that's all he wants to maintain. Yeah. And he's so grateful, like you've been saying, he's so grateful that the Mandalorian brought that peace.
1: Yeah, I like that he's able to find satisfaction in just just helping people and expressing that selflessness instead of like money and material possessions and you know going on these you know galactic scale quests. I, I really like that he's able to find simplicity and satisfaction in just helping people. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, mm-hmm. so, so good. Yeah. Um, we could do we could do
1: like a whole spinoff series on, on Quill. He's just that great. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. And and you know that pretty much brings us to the end of the episode. Um, mm-hmm. You know he he shoots up the ship. So I just want to can I make a few comments about the theme here at the end? That oh, go for thing. it. So, um, yeah. Right. So here we go. We're gonna. Start up the ship. You know, Quill's saying his goodbyes. He's turning the ship on. I also love the visual that the engines come online. Like, his, the, they literally come to life. They are on fire. Here we are. We're building to his theme in the story this time. Last time it came after the story. So... Ugh, I, I love how that starts and builds. And again, this is his theme. He's, he's now mm-hmm. again, he's come out from his encounter as a changed character um, mm-hmm. with that mud horn. And um, if I may, for a quick moment, make a theological point, the, the infancy narratives, which again, like I, all I kept thinking of with little, you know, the child the whole time was the uh, quote from Isaiah eleven six, which is a child will lead them. Um, Again, uh, Christians see that as a precursor to the to the coming of Jesus. Um, but what I was thinking is is the infancy narratives in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. They're very different stories because neither one of them are literal. I mean, I know that there are Christians that take them literally. I do not. Um, they literally have to- so many different details that you 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 literally can't take them literally, in my opinion. But um, be that as it may, those stories what they actually serve the purpose for in the Gospel is they are basically the entire gospel summed up into one short story. So in the story of Luke, he's put in a manger because Jesus is the food for humanity. Mangers are, you know, he's basically put in a food trough. And he came as a poor person. Luke's entire theme in his gospel is that Jesus came for the poor. Um, So you're getting that in a truncated version just in the first couple of chapters of his gospel. In Matthew's gospel... You basically have him telling you that Jesus is the new Moses. So all of the parts of the infancy narrative in Matthew are about, you know, the same things that happened to Moses as a little baby. So again, but he, he came to save the world. The whole world came to see him. And, um, the, you know, the, the three wise men that come and find him are ultimately the theme of the, the, the non-Jewish world see Jesus as the Savior. So both of those infancy narratives, I'm sorry for the theology lesson for those of you who don't care at all. Um, but like, it's really cool that they, both those infancy narratives ask, act as like a prologue, prologue to the entire rest of the gospel. I feel like that's what these first two chapters are of The Mandalorian is they kind of tell us a summed up story of what his character will become and then they're going to flesh it out now. You know what I mean? Yeah. If that makes right. Sense.
1: It, it it does feel like a prologue in a way, like a, a a trial that he had to go to to get him to a different point emotionally. That's going to help him get through whatever challenges he faces in the
0: in the last six episodes. Right. So you know, mm-hmm. as like as his theme, sorry, I got really loud. Um, his theme kind <laughs> of his theme like really builds here to make the statement: this is the Mandalorian. Right here, we got these triumphant trumpets. Hero, right? He takes off, it settles back into his theme, which is so great. And you know, it, it made me think of a made me, this particular statement of his theme made me a, think of a couple of different things. And the first thing it made me think of, as far as the Mandalorian is the hero, a hero who wears a mask, a hero who wears armor. Well, you know who else is a hero that wears a mask and wears armor? The Dark Knight.
1: Yeah, I was going to say.
0: <laughs> and this this track from the Dark Knight Rises soundtrack, it's called Why Do We Fall. It's that moment when Bruce Wayne Oh, yeah, becomes, this is the, one
1: of the best musical moments in that entire trilogy.
0: But, like, listen, right, the way it builds, is he's climbing, and that... Oh, sorry, I skipped the building. Here it is building. <laughs> you know, he's... he's striving to be something more. He's striving for his purpose in life. And the theme is building the whole time, but we haven't heard it stated yet until he surrenders and becomes the hero. And then here we get it in all its glory. Right? Lots of drums. Yeah. Sorry, anytime I can get a chance to talk about the Dark Knight theme, I will because it's an awesome piece of music. <laughs> um. No, that's
1: that's actually like what I was thinking of before the, the show even started. Not in like a sense of like, oh, I called it. But <laughs> I remember thinking like, OK, if we're going to get this live action TV show, I want them to m- kind of move in a new direction with the music. I mean, still say like in a, in a Star Wars realm to a certain extent, but I wanted it to be something like the Dark Knight. You know, yeah. almost like that vigilante feeling like he's, you know, overcoming all the odds. And I, I don't I don't know. I like that. Those parallels.
0: Yeah. No, that's so as he's firing up his ship and he's he's leaving kind of as the hero- he is the hero in Quill's eye. Right. He brought peace. Mm-hmm. Um, Quill talked about how his, you know, their planet their this peaceful valley had been disrupted and the Mando shows up and peace is restored. So he is the hero. He becomes the Mando and. Um, I really think he is going to be heroic character, um, and I'm I'm really excited about that. I'm really hoping that's what what he becomes. Um, yeah, I'm
1: so anxious to see how this this is going to affect him for the rest of the episodes, like how it's going to interact. His interactions with like Cara Dune, and I know there's at least like two or three other like major characters that they still have to introduce, so it's going to be very interesting to see like how this growth is going to play into all that and how he might grow even more.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and then the last thing I want to say about the way his theme plays out here, and this is this is part of his theme, but also visually it's really great, so you get these. You get these chimes, kind of like these, um, you know, and this is when it's focusing on the child, right? Mm-hmm. These chimes are so beautiful. And to me, what it indicates is that there's something heavenly about this child, right? Like in, mm-hmm. in Western culture, chimes are usually used in like church music, that there's something angelic, heavenly about them. There is something heavenly about that child that saved his life, mm-hmm. Um and that's yeah, so, a holy
1: experience like you said yeah
0: so like i love that the episode's ending with these chimes kind of softly playing out kind of like a a lullaby almost but that there's something <laughs> looking out for the mandalorian again this is my interpretation um but oh know, it totally
1: is yeah
0: the that something holy has broken into his life and and uh I'm really excited to see what that looks like, and you know these chimes that are used. You know what else? You know where else where we hear chimes in a, a particular Star Wars character theme? <laughs> Ray, listen to the end of here. We, yeah, this is, um, yeah. Here's the end of Ray's theme. Sorry. All oh, those are the, the flutes. Here comes the chimes. Right. Right. So. Again, I don't know if that's intentional on Ludwig's part, um, but you know we That's get, a good question. We get chimes from Ray's theme and and I don't know. Like there's something there's something special about her as a character, clearly. <laughs> and yeah. Almost like there's something pretty darn special about this Mandalorian, perhaps. So I'm just again, so excited for the story to really kick into high gear now, if you will. Oh
1: yeah, there's so many possibilities too where it could go with like all the characters that they
0: can introduce and yeah i'm so excited for what we're getting you and me both (laughs) Mm -hmm. so yeah we just we doubled the time of the episode great work um i figured we could um yeah (laughs) uh, yeah i uh, i know i'm gonna need to keep talking about this show as it it continues to come out because i'm i'm loving it already and i know you are as well
1: yeah i can't get enough of it
0: well dude thanks thanks for uh literally just i responding to my text this morning just say hey you got some time this afternoon (laughs) we both just
1: had to talk about this
0: great show um so yeah uh thanks so much for for taking the time to be on
1: Mm -hmm. oh it's been my pleasure man as always so
0: all right well that's gonna wrap up this little episode of the Wampus lair um, just a reminder for our matchup for this coming week's full episode, uh, Katie gave us this the last episode, which is a lot of fun. K2SO versus IG-11. Um, and if you want to get in on that, you can find us on Facebook at Podcast. You can get us on Twitter at Wampuslair, And you can always email us at WampasLairPodcast at gmail.com. Um, Captain Jim Urso, where can folks find you in the world?
1: So, they can find me on Twitter at Jim C. Capron. It's the best place to find me.
0: Excellent. Well, that's going to do it for us here in the Wampus Lair. For Jim, I am Carl, and we will see you next time on the Wampus Lair.